Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Boomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear their experience or visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising. Old paradigms don't have to die for new ones to be created. Old money doesn't have to die out for new money to be created. Welcome back to episode 62 of What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and changemakers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode was made possible thanks to our friends over at DonorPerfect. Today, I'm interviewing Angela Matthews. Angela is an investor, investment coach, and the founder of the Happy Investor Method, where her goal is to make investing accessible and fun for all. As an experienced investor and investment trainer, she has conducted workshops, seminars, and one-on-one coaching with thousands of individuals and businesses from all walks of life. In this episode, you'll learn what brought Angela to this work and why claiming financial purpose is an essential first step towards shifting self-limiting beliefs. We discuss the binary approach to money that leaves nonprofits unnecessarily constricted and unpack what it might look like for fundraisers to take an entirely different approach to how we talk about money. If you see financial resources as a zero-sum game, meaning if another fundraiser gets more, it means your nonprofit receives less, then we have some mindset shifts for you. And you better believe that we're also talking about the messy and uncomfortable money issues embedded in our psyches. This episode is all about investment, from money to time to the investment in your own healing. So let's dive in so you can meet Angela. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Angela Matthews. Angela, welcome to What the Fundraising. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So why don't we start with you just telling everyone a little bit about you. We got to meet at AFP Icon this year, but I know your work is both a bit inside the nonprofit sector, outside of it as well. So just tell everyone what brings you to our conversation. Yes, we definitely met at the conference and it was such a whirlwind in Las Vegas. And we met each other on the premise of what would it look like if everyone saw investing or money through the lens of abundance? What would fundraising look like? What would the world look like? What would entrepreneurship look like? And how Mm -hmm. could we really shift the planet through a powerful conversation about money? And not just this high up, high end conversation that's super detached, but what happens when we bring the conversation on a more personal level and how Mm -hmm. does our relationship with money translate to how we're representing money in the world? And I know Mm -hmm. that's a mouthful, but it's there. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me your money story. Like how, what brought you to a moment in time where you are in a position and wanting to talk about money and how it moves in this world? So I will premise this with, I have a whole company called the Happy Investor Method, and this is really my jam. And I've been investing in the stock market for 12 years, and I utilized investing in the stock market as my path out. 
And so for me, I was born and raised in Queens, New York to immigrant parents, and I didn't come from a super wealthy background, but I was very clear that I paid my dues when I was younger. And I think maybe everyone could experience poverty on some level to understand what wealth truly means and how it could impact the world or do service. And I, like I said, was clear that I did my time from zero to 18, did my time, not going there. Angela is going to be fantastically wealthy, above and beyond abundant for the rest of her life. And so in making that decision, I decided to ask the person I knew the most and who had the most information about money and wealth. And so I went to Google and I Googled, how do you become rich? (laughs) Because like I said, I didn't necessarily, I came from very humble beginnings. Mm -hmm. And so Google always comes through with the answer and Google came through. And it said, first of all, after much searching, do you want to be new rich? Do you want to be like a lottery winner? Or do you want to be sustainably rich? Do you want Mm -hmm. to be self-made? Do you want to always have this problem of not having money? And so after a while, I said, hey, I want to be a self-made multimillionaire and I don't want to work all the time. How can I do this? And that's when I found investing in entrepreneurship and I did both. Wow. Okay. So Google, good work. I feel like that could have led to a lot of different things. (laughs) Yes. And I could have been on a completely different path. Lord knows somewhere else around the world doing Lord knows what for Lord knows who. But thankfully, the results came through that Thankfully, you're here. Okay. Can we define wealth? What do you define as wealth? Let's start there. For me, wealth is choice and access, Mm. period. It is the ability to choose what you want to do with your time and with your resources. And it also has to do with understanding what those options are. So there's one thing Mm. to have a choice in the matter, but if you don't know what choices are available or you don't have access to certain things, then you can't choose what you don't know. And so for me, wealth is just access and choice. And it can mean whether this is for health, whether this is for financial circumstances, whether this is for relationships, it always comes down to that for me, choice. And I love that because I actually think those two pillars really resonate in a nonprofit framework as well. Like they resonate beyond just an individual. When I think about what does choice and access mean, even for a nonprofit organization, I see exactly how a certain level and people probably wouldn't say like our nonprofit is wealthy, but a certain amount of sort of financial abundance leads to exactly the same thing, choice and access. So I think it's really interesting when you break it down that way. And so when you work with folks around money and starting their journey of making probably first a decision around how they want to shift their relationship with money and then how they ultimately want to make money, or maybe it's the opposite way. Like what's the start of the journey process here for the folks that you work with? For me, I like to think about it in terms of how did you get here and why are you here? Mm. A lot of us have financial traumas and some of the trauma that we have, it's inherited. Other times it's us being 18 Mm. year old and signing up to every single credit card that gave us an application. For Mm. some of us, it's taking out loans or getting married or just doing things that we didn't necessarily expect to have the ramifications that it does financially. Mm. In the moment, it felt amazing. Clearly, Mm. that's why we did it. So for me, I like to start with that in terms of how did you get to be the way you are? What is your story? What is the trauma? And is Mm. there any way we can release the guilt from that? 
you don't want to create something in the same energy that it was created, right? You don't want to create a new thing in the same, I don't want to say negative energy, but counterproductive. Mm -hmm. And so if we can just own it and say, hey, yeah, I totally took out five credit cards and traveled the world. Not saying this was me. It was totally Mm -hmm. me. This was totally me. (laughs) (laughs) And releasing that guilt and saying, but I'm so thankful that credit cards were invented so that I can take credit cards out and travel Mm. the world. And I am so thankful that I got to meet people that would have probably never been able to come to the United States of America and meet me. And thankfully, someone created this plastic to give to someone who was Mm. 20 years old without a job to go and do this. And if this was the only reason this was created for, heck, we got a win-win situation here. So do you see that reframe? Or I could have reframed it and Mm. said, okay, wow, we have 15K in debt and I don't have anything to show for it. And what if I had done something else with that money? And it's the same exact situation, just two different sides. And erasing that guilt of it's not great, it's not bad, it is Mm. what it is, then gives me the agency to do something about it. Okay, you said something in there that I think is really important and I want to dig into it for a second. You said that piece around, I have nothing to show for it. And I think this is a really interesting piece of money. And I see it on individual levels, organizational levels, so many different things. And I'm sure it comes up in investing too. And so I'm curious how you think about this. What I hear you saying is that there was this decision made that had this outcome that could have been viewed in a super binary way. That thing I did was wrong. It was bad. It had these consequences. And so I'm going to feel really bad about it because it was bad. What I hear you doing is saying, actually, maybe it's more nuanced than that. Like maybe I don't have this because of it, but I have this because of it. And it taught me this and it led to this and holding both truths about what had happened there. And I think that's really interesting because what do we have to show for it? That piece of a justification of money is so complicated because money is just like one form of energy. Some outputs we can see, some of them we can't. And how do we like value those things like up against money? What do you even think about what I'm saying? I think it's a really interesting query to be in because especially in the fundraising world, right? We've got these intangible things that we are fundraising for change, for justice, for whatever it is you're fundraising for. And you're going to a donor and you're telling them, hey, can you give us some money? We're going to make this thing happen. And now Mm. the donor may come back or you may go back to the donor and ask for more. And they're going to say, what do you have to show for it? Mm. And now you have to give a tangible output or explanation for something that may not actually have a tangible output or explanation. How do you actually give a dollar value to someone getting prescription drugs that couldn't afford it? How do you Mm -hmm. give a dollar value to education? You just can't. And so in that, what I would encourage people to do and what I think what you're alluding to too is, hey, how do we look at the conversation of if there was nothing to show for it? A, can I be okay with that? Period. Because the real thing is there is something to show for it. It's just that you haven't seen it. And then we get to think about what am I not seeing here? And why am I utilizing one paradigm to analyze another paradigm? Like, why am I doing Mm. all of this 
in the first place? How can I just honor the decision that was made and trust that I made the decision for the best possible future and alternative and sit in it in saying that it worked out the way it worked out because that's how it should have worked out because I said so in my original creation of it. And this is pushing the way I think about or try to define money and value. But I think it is, we're also talking about the fact that there are all these different things of value in our lives. And some of them have more tangible value and some of them don't. And some of them are valued by other people and some of them aren't. And how do we sit with what was meaningful even for us? And that doesn't mean that it was good or bad or comfortable, but that had something important for us in it without then starting to judge it by all of the value lens externally. So I'm curious from an investing perspective, let's say you got someone really excited about investing two months ago (laughs) or something like that. Or I'll tell you a few months ago, I had a woman on from Coinbase and she got me all excited about crypto, way too excited about crypto real fast. And then I had a really good friend who works at a big bank, make me even more excited about crypto. So I decided I'm going to invest in crypto. What did you do? What (laughs) did you do? So I invested in crypto and not a crazy amount of money, but something that is significant, meaningful to me and more than 50% of it is gone. And it's been this really interesting work over the last few days and gone for the moment. Who knows? I have no idea what the future holds. There are plenty of people who would tell me, take what's left and run. And there are plenty of people who would tell me to sit and stay and all the different things. And I am going to sit and stay. But actually, my reason to sit and stay is less about the money that I might gain back and more about what it means to me to sit in the discomfort of temporary loss. To say that, you know what? I need to not freak out right now. I need to believe and sit with and work on this being okay, me still being safe. I made this decision knowing that different things could happen. Now they have so soon. But still, I said to myself yesterday, I'm really curious how what you would say to a client who was like me in this situation in the stock market. I said to myself yesterday in my head, Mallory, if you want abundance in your business, You cannot freak out when you lose money. Those are the same thing. It's the same thing. So if you want to clamp down and get tight and restrict, 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 the exact same energy is going to be there in your business. And so what you sit with in this moment is going to affect everything else. And so that's been part of my own investing in this particular moment journey. But I'm curious how you approach a client like that. So it's funny you should say this because I am just wrapped up yesterday, a program that was five weeks and I was in a container with students, 45 people for five weeks in this container, teaching them investing. And in the beginning, they were like, yes, I'm invested. Take all my hard-earned money, throw it in the market, take it, grow, make me a multimillionaire. And this is what they were thinking. And right now at the time of this recording, the market is doing some really interesting things and it's pretty much down 
uh, roughly 25% since the beginning of the year. And still not the lowest it's been. One of the recent lows was in 2020, right around the pandemic. So we're really not anywhere close to that yet. And still nowhere close to where we were with the recession. So I say this to say that when you start zooming out of the picture, Mm. it starts feeling a lot better, right? Mm. When you're in it and you're so close to something, your adrenaline is pumping and you're thinking, oh my gosh, there's nothing else that matters than this moment. But this is one moment of so many. And Mm. I like to think of investments as the people who run them. So we're human. So humans grow and develop over a lifetime. The same Mm -hmm. thing happens with your investment. So I too own crypto and I'm Mm -hmm. in it for the long haul. And so I definitely saw, hey, I've at some point lost 50% of my investment because I've been investing for over a year. And I continuously invest. And not because this is a sound investment. I invest in the belief of what crypto is. So it's completely different than the fundamental analysis of the stock market. I am investing in a belief when I invest in crypto, decentralized money, fiat, government, all of it. I just got so excited and covered in chills because that's what I say to people all the time too. And I have never had someone say that back to me. People, whenever somebody tells me that I'm crazy for investing in crypto, I'm like, I don't really care. I believe in this. I believe in this and I want to put my resources towards this. I don't think of it as my philanthropic giving, but it is triggered by many of those same decisions. So I love hearing that from you. Yes, exactly. We're investing in the future we want to see. Mm -hmm. And so for me, my reaction as Bitcoin is probably like hovering 20 something thousand right now is I went to my husband and I said, oh my gosh, we can own a whole Bitcoin. What do we do? (laughs) This is not a drill, people. This is not a drill. I can own a whole Bitcoin right now. Do we go in on this? And this was my reaction. And so you can see it's like really different than the reaction that you had. Mm -hmm. And it's a good, it's not a good and it's not a bad thing. We're just Mm -hmm. watching our reactions. And so Mm -hmm. for me, As an investor, you're right. How you do one thing translates to everything. Mm. And I'm thinking this is investing season. This is the Mm. season where millionaires and billionaires are created. And Mm. when millionaires and billionaires are created, especially from backgrounds that aren't traditional investors, what Mm. would that look like in the world? What would it look like if Mallory Mm. was a billionaire? What Mm. would it look like if the person listening right now to this became a billionaire? How much of the world's problems that we currently sit in will no longer exist? How many of the people in your life that aren't as gifted with money or just see the potential about Mm. it everywhere, how many of those people get to go as a result of you going? And so when I see opportunities like this in the market with it going down, with Bitcoin going down, I'm thinking it is a free for all, y'all. Get your bucket out. It is raining money here. We are getting things at such a discount. The Mm. fact that I can pay 20 something thousand for a whole coin. Are you kidding me? Like me five years ago? (laughs) This is so freaking exciting. And I don't even know if I'm going to actually purchase it or not because I just did an angel investment two weeks ago. Mm. (laughs) But it is investing season. Once we think about that, how can we invest in relationships? How can we invest in opportunities to make our money grow? How can you Mm. start understanding your as a fundraiser and as an organization, how can you understand your donors? Because your donors are probably investors as well. Mm -hmm. Chances are they are. Mm -hmm. And how can you understand and correlate fundraising to investing in a future, investing Mm -hmm. in a reality? 
There mm-hmm. is no payoff. There is no, did I make the right return on investment or anything like that once we're investing in something that doesn't even exist? Yeah. I really appreciate what you were talking about around what happens when different people become wealthy. What happens when wealth is gained by folks who haven't historically had access to wealth? And it's interesting because we've been experiencing a tremendous amount of gun violence in this country. There's been an additional spotlight on it recently. And so the other day I Googled how much money the NRA invests in lobbying. It really wasn't that much money at the end of the day. When I looked at these sort of tipping point senators and how much they had gotten over their lifetime from the NRA, it's not an insurmountable amount of money. And it's just interesting because I think about that a lot, especially in the work that I do when I work one-on-one with women building their coaching businesses and their own sort of guilt or resistant to making money. I'm like, what gets to happen in this world when people like you have way more money? Like, how does everything actually change? And so I think that's such a big thing that you said that I want to double click on. Everything changes when we all get to go. Everything. And it doesn't have to be scarcity driven. I look at my investments making money and I tell my clients, we we talk about the causes that we're going to change and shift because yes, there's my hard-earned money, but the whole point of an investment, it grows by itself. So Mm -hmm. I could be here living my beautiful life. You're living your beautiful Mm -hmm. life. And I go back and I check in on the account and all of a sudden there's thousands and thousands of dollars there. That wasn't there before. Now, what would it look like if I just gave that away? Which I actually do. I do that often in my day-to-day life. Someone looks like they're in need. I literally walk around and don't jack me if you see me in the street. Please don't. But (laughs) but I literally walk around and like just give $100 bills away to people. And it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't make me feel any type of way because I can look in a brokerage account and easily say, oh, I made a couple thousand dollars today. What is it to just give What if someone just used me as a means to get to them? Mm. And that's really why I think I've been so blessed and why our clients are so blessed and my students and the people, other investors, I think we're so blessed because we get to give, right? For a lot of us who are in our space, you have a special blessing on you because you have a space in your heart that literally you will always give Mm. no matter what. It doesn't matter if you have $10, you're going to give five. If you have five, you're going to give 250. If you have 250, you'll probably give the $2 and say, you know what, I'll figure it out. First Tea of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. Yeah. I feel like that is also what I was talking about before around the way that money moves in, money moves out and vice versa. So it's just like the flow of money. Like when we release it with more ease, it comes in with more ease because it is the same 
thing. So if I clamp down around the loss, it's going to block me in the way I bring in money into my business. And I say this to fundraisers, and I know it's not an easy thing to hear sometimes, but when I have fundraisers say, I can't afford to invest in power partners, which is $99 a month, that level of scarcity mindset that's showing up in your fundraising. There's just no way around it. And I'm just curious what your sort of experience is there, what you think about that. Absolutely. Everyone knows we have to pay to play. Yeah. And you have to get a ticket to get into the room. Remember I said choice and access is something that is priceless. To be in the room, to be in certain conversations, to get the introductions you need to the people that can get you the other introductions that you need. And I'm an entrepreneur, right? I'm a business owner. I have a whole company. I talked to my husband about it because he's, you're always spending and you're always making. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I'm always investing. I'm always Mm -hmm. investing. I'm investing in myself. I'm investing in my company. I'm investing in other people's companies. I'm Mm -hmm. investing in relationships. And sometimes I just need Mm -hmm. to get into that room because Mm -hmm. I wasn't born in that room. So Mm -hmm. how else are we going to get in that room? I think about sponsoring conferences. And I think, oh my gosh, little old me from Queens, what am I doing sponsoring a conference? But I get to sponsor a conference and people get to see that people like me sponsor conferences. And I also get to be put in a position of authority to say, hey, I'm here to let you know that this is what you need to be doing with your money. Mm -hmm. And once you start playing at that level, you'll start attracting people at that level. And so I find all the time when there are folks who, who hire us to teach them investment strategies and it gets a bit addictive. I won't lie. It's like, oh my oh, I God, know. this is so I much fun. I told you my crypto story. <laughs> yes, it gets, exactly. You definitely get a little hit, right? You get a little hit every time. And there are people who are like, oh my gosh, you won't believe it. I went to this investor meeting or I went to this thing mm. and I ran into this person and I landed this huge contract. And you're like, how did you do that? Birds of a feather flock together. Just being open to investing or change or money or abundance, you're going to be attracting other people just like that who are open. You're going to attract opportunities. Mm. And it's always about opportunities. Show me the opportunities. Help me to understand the opportunities. Help me to take advantage of the opportunities. Help me to be an opportunity. Whoa. Okay. So I'll say, I feel like the term abundance... It's an interesting term that I don't use a ton in nonprofit because I think that nonprofits in general are rooted in such a scarcity mindset that abundance feels like a quote on their coffee mug. The -hmm. idea of feeling abundant, they're like, how do I get there? How do I feel? And there's this piece around what you had said before, basically. If we all got there, if we all get there, if we all get access and this idea that it isn't zero sum, that capitalism teaches us in many ways, there's only so much and you either win or you lose and it's very binary, but you teach within very much a binary system with wins and loss tracking, you (laughs) teach that it's not a zero sum game that we can all win. So how does that work? There's this thing called live and let live. Yeah. To me, it's like win and help win. And in a win and help win, 
paradigm. I don't think that old paradigms have to die for new ones to come. Mm. I don't think capitalism has to die out for a better version of capitalism to be created. I think capitalism created me and it also saved me. Mm. And it continues to save me and creates other inequities and all of that. That's just a bigger conversation than I care to really pontificate on ever. (laughs) Forever. Think about what is a potential solution? What is this new thing that Mm. we can create? And so for me, I know that seeing that in the lens of abundance could seem woo. I get that. But if we have to choose scarcity or abundance, if I have to choose, if I win, someone else loses, I personally will never want to win because within me, that means that someone is going to be experiencing pain because of me. And that's just something that I personally don't enjoy the thought of. Who does? Let's just be honest. Mm. And so we have to scratch that thought. Just because I happen to purchase a really nice handbag or Chanel earrings does not mean that I am a bad person. In fact, I feel so blessed that I can purchase these Chanel earrings. I have waited my entire life to purchase these Chanel earrings. I mean... And I don't feel bad about it. And I kept it to myself. I'm a closeted person in the sense that I don't want to talk about Chanel. I don't want to talk about how obsessed Mm -hmm. I am about it. But the thing is, when I hit milestones, I get to celebrate that. And the money's going to go regardless. This is the story of money. It comes, it goes. Tell me what you Mm -hmm. spent this day five years ago. What did you spend? Where did the money go? What do Mm -hmm. you have to quote unquote show for it? Really, we really don't know. Hmm. And so if I'm going to get to choose what gets stuck in my net of money, I'm going to be intentional about it. And for Hmm. me, it happens to be like little Chanel brooches. Beautiful. beautiful. And yes, I know that I probably could have fed 500 kids with Feeding America. That's real. But I have also fed 500 and I get to go with my Chanel brooch and I get to do something else. And so this is what I want to say with this new frontier of money and acceptance and stuff comes in, it's just owning all of it. Because in the end of the day, if I can't feel good in purchasing my luxury, whatever that makes me feel good, for me, Chanel, maybe for someone else, it's a nice pair of hiking boots. Maybe Mm -hmm. for someone else, it's a trip or a nice bottle Mm -hmm. of champagne. It doesn't matter. But Mm -hmm. this fuels us. Like long gone are the days of martyrdom and choice poverty in the sense of because I have someone else doesn't. Mm -hmm. I'm over it. I love what you just said. And I really appreciate what you said about the 500 people being fed, because I think that is the type of narrative that gets trapped in the nonprofit sector in a few different ways. And I'll be honest, when I lost the crypto money, that was the first thing I thought. I was like, oh, like that money could have made such an impact in someone else's life. That was my first gut reaction, conditioned tendency thought. And then when I really thought about it, and I think this is another thing you're calling people to do is look at your relationship with money as a whole, not this one situation or circumstance or purchase or investment. But what I said to myself was, you do donate a tremendous amount of money and you do all these other things. And this play with crypto was important for your overall money management. It was an important exercise. It's an important practice. It's all those different things. And I think in the nonprofit sector, even when we're talking about advocating for pay increases, 
folks get into their mind around it's me or more money for the program, which could mean 500 meals. It could mean 10,000 meals. But what's happening to your energy and your time and your focus and your attitude when you make the decision to always have it go to those 500 meals? I think that's actually when we do see that martyrdom get stuck there and the needs of the people in the organizations aren't being met. And then they're not showing up with the energy that actually is going to move abundance into the organization from a fundraising perspective. All of it. It is a cycle. It's a cycle. And you can't expect other people to give above and beyond if you're not willing to do the same and see it in the same exact lens. Yeah. It's just not going to work. And I'm telling you this, I'm not a fundraiser. I'm an investor and I'm a donor. And so it was so interesting going Mm. to the conference and being around so many fundraising professionals and hearing the image of the donor and saying, how can we get donors to give more or how can we get those donor dollars back? And I'm like, back? What do you mean back? And I get it. How do we bring back the money? How do we get Mm. people to consistently give over time? But what would it look like if we didn't think about it in terms of bringing something back? Because nothing truly was out. It's everyone's. But would we look at it and say that, wow, wherever that money went, I'm so happy that money went there. That is amazing that another organization got to experience this donor in this Mm -hmm. way. Now, how can we re-engage this donor to be more part of the team? How can we talk about a better future? How can I ask the donor questions? Mm. All this stuff in terms of humanizing the experience of a donor. Mm. Because I'm an investor. If you make me feel good, and you make me feel as if I am changing the world in partnership and collaboration with you, I will go make money to come back to bring to you to keep on doing it. (laughs) Right? And that is totally not what you would expect from a donor. But I am telling you, there are new wealthy people being made. Mm -hmm. Remember, old paradigms don't have to die for new ones to be created. Old money doesn't have to die out for new money to be Mm -hmm. created. And I think we're this league of new wealthy. What does it look like when someone purchases a whole Bitcoin for $20,000 and one day it's worth a hundred thousand or a million. And they're like, you know what? I'm just going to give half of this away because heck, I just paid 20K for it. And it's worth so much more money now. I get so excited from this stuff. You can tell. But what would that look like? New rich. You bring up this other piece, which is the opinions that nonprofits hold about their donors or the decisions that they make for their donors in many ways. And I think the limitations of relationships when they are uncomfortable with money, assumptions about people with money or passing judgment about people with money. I would say even if you feel a little bit uncomfortable with the way you're hearing money talked about on this episode, that's something to look at. Even when you said we're the new wealthy. I was like, am I wealthy? Am I comfortable? I felt it in me, you know? And this is work I'm doing every single day, but I still feel that little ping, that little ping in my throat. Am I comfortable there? What does that mean? Because we have been taught and we do all have money stories and money trauma. God, my grandmother passed away with her entire life saving hidden in her closet because they had lost everything in the Holocaust. And we all live with these weird, complicated, traumatic experiences with money. I would say for me, it's been a constant untangling and a resurfacing and then untangling again, and then a resurfacing and untangling again. So for folks who are listening to this and like feeling those moments of discomfort, 
sitting in that is where I feel like the work really lies. Sitting in that is where the magic is. Because I know right now I'm talking and I'm this cute little poster, like, yay, shift the planet with our money. (laughs) But it definitely is an onion. There's cellular things. I'm a person of color. And so I own property and investments are property. And even in my Mm. cellular DNA, I have to contend with the fact that I was once property. That's something, Mm. someone who comes from, example, your grandmother, right? Holocaust survivors. You have Mm. to think about money as a past to live because Mm. a lot of people had to have money to pay someone off to live. Mm. So we get to have these conversations and we just get to be in the query of, wow, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm listening to this episode and that kind of rubbed me wrong. And Mm. so I grew up in a church home back in Queens and my bishop always says, if you're angry at it, it's because it applies to you. And Mm. so it's hurtful words, but it's true because you're like the only person right now. (laughs) The only person angry right now is the person who it applies to because if it didn't, you Mm. wouldn't be angry. If it didn't apply to you, you would have just kept on listening and you wouldn't even flinched. Mm -hmm. So that's your higher spirit. That's your intuition. That's that inner child saying like, wait, wait, hold on. There's an opportunity here to grow. There's an opportunity to stretch. There's an opportunity to have a new identity Mm -hmm. around this topic that really can be the linchpin for so much of who you're meant to be. What would life look like if money wasn't a thing? What would look like if money was always around you forever and ever. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. And if you actually integrated that belief inside of you and knowing that everyone has that power to access it as well, what can't you do in this world? Who can't you be? Who can't you fix? Who can't you solve? Not that you could fix anything, but what can't you fix? It's, I know this could be a triggering episode and we love you. (laughs) I'll slap you and hug you and slap you and hug you. And my slaps aren't slaps. They're like feathers. But really and truly, I think Mallory really... I honor you for having this conversation Mm -hmm. and being open to the conversation and exposing your community because one of us goes, we all go. Yeah, I think so much of the real work for fundraisers, in my opinion, is around grappling with the layers of discomfort. And so this isn't the first or the last What the Fundraising episode where people are probably in their car cringing at me a little bit, but... That's okay because I think that it's not just okay. It's important in my opinion, because I think we want to be change makers. Change makers means changing the status quo. Comfort lives in the status quo. So if we want to change the status quo, whatever that is in terms of our environmental impact or equity and justice work or you know, progress in any kind of way. It's going to require us to get uncomfortable. It's going to require us to get uncomfortable in the way we act and the way we show up and in the way we think and what we believe. And I believe for fundraisers, particularly, a lot of that is in this conversation. This is the 0.1 of you want to go into a meeting with a major donor. Have you done this work? Have you thought about these things? Because to think that you can go into a major donor meeting with the perfect pitch deck and the perfect impact report and the perfect briefing sheet and have not done any of this work and you wonder why it didn't land, it's in here. The answer is in here. So I just really appreciate the way you think about things, the way you push others to think about things. 
Absolutely. And maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum where you're like, this was freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is what I needed. This puts so much things in perspective. Wherever you are on the journey, it's yeah. just know it and honor it. Yes. And that it's not going to be linear because I have days probably where I would have been like, I'm going to buy a Bitcoin. That's the other thing. There's lots of things happening around us all the time that impact our energy and awareness and consciousness around money and how rooted we feel in abundance and scarcity. I didn't say to myself when I had that moment of, oh crap, I didn't say to myself, you've lost all your money work. Like you don't even know how to think abundantly anymore. You've completely lost all that work you've done on yourself. I didn't go there. I was just like, all right, I'm having a moment. Mm -hmm. I'm having a moment. I need to dig in. I need to unpack this a little bit. And then I went about my day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so proud of you. I think that probably was a testament to your growth, just even hearing your own internal thought Mm. pattern because the you of the past might not have had that reaction. So it really was a great thermometer to seeing how far you've come, I'm sure. Yeah, the me of the past would have never even invested The second me of the past would have sold everything in that moment. (laughs) There's lots of iterations of that. But I'm just so grateful for you and everything that you do to help people build the life that they want to be living and do it in ways that does promote a tremendous amount of generosity and community and connection. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Tell everyone, where can they find you? What's the best way to connect with you? How might they be able to work with you? All the things. So I am on email all the time. And so I send love notes via email to folks and you can go to happyinvestorguide.com and either you can just get on our list and there's free trainings and stuff like that. But really that's my jam. I've got two little ones. And so social media is quite a bit of a luxury, but if you do want to follow, you can follow me at Happy Investor Method. And Happy Investor Method, we try to make you happy with investing. And we have programs throughout the year and masterminds. And once you're in our world, It's a fun one if you can't tell already. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. And I also invite folks, if they want to share a nonprofit to highlight on the show for folks to check out if they're interested, do you have one top of mind you want to share? I do. I had no idea this was going to be here, but there is one called Eight Cents in a Jar. And what it does is it prepares kids from socio-disadvantaged economic backgrounds to go to investing competitions around the country. And so they get a little bit of money and they have to invest it in the stock market and make it grow and they go to competitions. And so that is my organization of choice naturally because I teach investing and (laughs) I know the power it has. And these kids are so fearless. They'll just Mm. throw this money in something and they're saying, yep, that's going to work. It's going to work. And you say, how do you know that's going to work? And they say, it is because this and this, and they just get it so fast. And so Mm. I already know that organization is, they're changing so much just because they're getting Mm. kids before they get that credit card. They're getting kids when they're 13 and they're exposing them to travel. They're exposing them to money, to Mm. competitions. And it's really a beautiful organization. And yeah, check it out. Eight cents in a jar. And it's awesome. And if you all have any organizations that you want me to know about, please feel free to find me on social media or email me. I love, love continuing on the conversations. And this is one that is just so important to have. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. 
Thank you for having me and thank you for listening. I'm going to be super honest. The way that Angela thinks about money and the movement of money is revolutionary to me. I'm particularly sitting with her point around the fact that old paradigms don't need to die in order for new ones to be born. That is a way that I have been thinking about money and wealth and capitalism in a binary way. The other thing Angela has made me realize is that my view of money is more transactional than I'd probably care to admit. When I think about investments that make you money over time without more input from you, it makes me a little uncomfortable. I am so much more comfortable thinking about trading assets. So this is something that I need to sit with and think about and maybe do some work around. There are a few other takeaways in this episode that I want to make sure you caught as well. Number one, we talk about this a lot, but everyone's relationship with money is unique and usually complex. It's important to sit with whatever discomfort comes up for you and to get curious about your personal history with money. Number two, when you play at a high level, you open doors at a high level. Number three, I am also thinking deeply about what Angela said regarding our guilt for wanting more, and I know she says it doesn't correlate with the suffering or lack others experience, but in the nonprofit sector, it can often feel like it does because it's either your salary or more money for programs, and the overhead myth really hurts us here too. I think the thing to remember is that number one, martyrdom helps no one, but also that this is a place to not give in to that zero-sum mindset. Sure, right now on your budget, it might look like you are being paid more and less money is going to programs, but what happens when you are paid more? How does your capacity increase? How does your ability to show up with more anabolic energy every day impact your work and the people and communities you are in partnership with? If we don't get what we need because we're in this binary scarcity thinking, then we actually just end up being really resentful and not making the impact we were meant to make. Okay, there are so many more amazing insights and takeaways from this episode. So head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast to grab them now. You'll also find more information there about Angela and how you can work with her if you're interested. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.